Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light right here on Giants.com. John Schmuck, Lance Meadow with you, and the phone number is 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you prefer to get in touch with us that way, that works as well. We'll make sure we get to at least one or two of your tweets as the show moves along here on this Monday, February afternoon. Mr. Meadow, we had a weekend after the Super Bowl with no football, and now we have... The AAF starting, and I got to admit, I did not watch any of the games. I do have one on the DVR. I plan on watching it, um, but talking to people that did and, and at least reading a lot about it, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about a lot of other things, by the way. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes, uh, but I feel like this is kind of the most newsworthy thing, so let's start there. I like the fact that they're really presenting themselves as a developmental league for the NFL where they know their lane and they're trying to exploit that to maybe eventually work with the NFL in some way, shapes, or form. Uh, to help the league along in various ways. Well, and I think the reason they're doing that successfully, John, is there's a lot of people that were formerly involved in the National Football League that Napoleon, are running correct, right. this entity. So I think when you take all of that into consideration, it's understandable that they're saying, hey, we're not trying to bring all-stars to the forefront here. We're not trying to be a league that is going to counter what the NFL is doing. We're simply going to give young players an opportunity to develop and if you look at how the contracts are structured, because everybody pretty much has gotten a three-year deal, they're giving them the freedom. If an NFL team comes calling during the offseason, they're free to leave. They want players to go on to bigger and better things. So, I right. mean, I know there's no formal relationship right now between the NFL and the AAF, but you're right. They are presenting themselves as almost a minor league system for the National Football League. And I think the positive is fans who want to see football year-round at least get something on their televisions, but don't come to the viewing audience and expect that all of a sudden you're going to be seeing the equivalency of NFL execution because the talent pool, there's a reason why these guys are not in the NFL. They want to take the next step. In order to do that, they're thinking this gives them a little bit more exposure. It feels to me, Lance, this is a good replacement for what NFL Europe used to be. Exactly. I think that's a good parallel. It isn't run by the league like the NFL Europe was, but it's something where it'll supplement. You get the young guys that maybe didn't make rosters, didn't play last year, and frankly, some positions need a lot more development than others. With the lack of contact now, offensive linemen especially need as many reps as possible. So these are the types of things the leagues can work together to really give younger players that maybe aren't as ready coming out of college but have the talent and ability to get some more reps and, and give them a chance to make an NFL roster. You know, be another Kurt Warner, somebody like that. Maybe you don't go to the Hall of Fame, obviously, but you can turn somebody that kind of was rejected by the NFL another chance to, to make their way back there if you don't want to go up to a place and, you know, play the CFL, for example, whose rules are much, much different than the NFL, I think this gives you a little bit of a better opportunity, and the games take place off-season for the NFL. And it's structured like a league where you're practicing during the week. It's yep. not as if you're just coming in on Saturdays and Sundays to suit up for a game, and then, oh, by the way, Monday you return to your normal job. So I, I think the structure bodes well for a lot of these young players. Speaking of development, by the way, not to say that I've watched every single game closely, but I know there's been a lot of complaints, and even from what I've seen, clearly, you know, the offensive line, the quarterback play is not where you'd want it to be, and that just goes to show you why it's very difficult, John, for these teams in the NFL yeah. to find replacements when some of their starters go down, and everybody talks about, oh, go on the free agent market. You'll be able to find guys that are going to be able to plug in and all of a sudden execute at the level you want them to, and it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Well, now you have an entire league with backup fringe players, and clearly they're struggling in pass protection and run blocking and so forth. So it just goes to show you how difficult it is 
to find quality offensive linemen even in the NFL. Yeah, and eventually, you know, you can try things, and I think the XFL back in the day was good at this too, where you try certain things that, you know, the league will get a better taste for what it'll look like in an NFL game. Like, I don't, you know, more ch- more two-point conversions, for an example. Um the way they're doing the review system. Onside you, kicks are yeah, eliminated. Onside kicks are limited. Onside conversion. Oh, yeah, exactly. Where I think you get a first and 10 at your own, a fourth and 10 fourth at your own. And, well, first, fourth and 12. Fourth and 12 at, at your own 35. Is the that what you 28 yard 28 yard line. line. Okay, yeah. interesting. So those are the different things you can kind of almost use it as a laboratory to see what works because there are always unintended consequences to rule changes, and this will hopefully eliminate some of those unintended consequences. Well, I think you hit it right in the nose. That to me is the biggest takeaway for the NFL right now. Yes, you may find a prospect or two that can make your roster. You bring them in on the 90-man roster in training camp. But I think if I'm the NFL right now, I'm looking at some of these new rule tweaks and changes that the AAF has implemented and seeing whether or not they're effective, how they impact the pace of the game, John, how it impacts scoring. You know, There's no extra points. You have to go for two, which I don't think is anything that necessarily the NFL has to look at closely. But the elimination of on-field kicks, does the on-field conversion give teams a chance who are down late in games to perhaps get back into the game? The eye in the sky, this live official who can communicate with officials on the field in real time and serve as another voice, another set of eyes, that's something that I think is practical that the NFL should look at. That, to me, is the part of this game that the NFL could benefit the most from. And I'm going to be very interested to see if the competition committee takes some of these ideas and puts them up to vote with the 32 owners. I remember Bill Polian was a big member of that competition committee for a long, long time. So I think he's probably taking all that into consideration when they set up the leagues, uh, the rules for the league. And I look forward to watching that game that I DVR'd from Saturday night, the one on CBS, um, over the next couple of days. When and I they're letting to get them hit in this league, by the way, too. I mean, they're not holding back. Now, they're going to, they're still going to police the head hits, though. Oh, right? 100%. Yeah. But they're not necessarily having the itchy fingers to throw roughing the quarterback. I mean, there were a few hard hits this yeah. weekend, including one where the quarterback saw the guy coming. He took him out and his helmet popped off. I think it looked worse than it really yeah, remember, was. It was like the defensive else. player's helmet that popped off, not the quarterback's. Well, it just goes to show you yeah. the intensity of the hit right. with respect to that. So they're letting them play, which I'm sure is appeasing to some of NFL fans who are tired of some of these new rules. But, yeah, protection is still a priority, John. There's no doubt about that. But they're not necessarily looking to back up teams for perhaps borderline hits, I guess is what I'm saying. Topic two for you here today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. There is some speculation, or at least there has been, as to how the NFL is going to open their season next year. As you know, the NFL opens on Thursday night. Usually you will see the defending Super Bowl champion play on that Thursday night. But they can also put that game now on Sunday night. So the NFL, it's their 100th anniversary next season. They're considering whether or not they're going to play an historical type of game on that Thursday. Pro Football Talk had reported previously that it could be the Packers and the Bears. But since the Patriots have won, now there's speculation again that maybe they're going to put the Patriots on that Thursday night, which obviously is really good for league ratings every time the Patriots are on a lot of people watch. And I think the question uh, that a lot of fans have is, and we put this up to the poll on Giants.com, when would you like to have the Giants play opening week? Do you want them to play on Thursday night? Because the Giants do play the Patriots next year, so that could be a possibility. Sunday night, which again, they could play the Patriots that year, is a possibility. A regular good old 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon square off, or maybe on Monday night when they have that little doubleheader, when they play the two consecutive games, usually one at 7 and one at 10, right? 
on that Monday Night Football doubleheader. So those are your choices on the Giants Twitter feed at Giants. Go place your vote. Lance and I had placed the first two votes. We were very excited to get Sunday afternoon going at 100%, but quickly the other ones are catching up. Dan Salmo, vote for Sunday afternoon. <laughs> we we got to well, stack it. We're still over 50%, so the majority is with us. Now, it's only been up for like six minutes, so. Hey, we'll take what we can get yes, in, we will. in terms of the Absolutely. early front runner. There's no doubt about that. It's funny, you brought up the Monday night doubleheader. Giants did once take part in that. If you remember, they played the Lions in Detroit they did. a few years ago. They lost they that the game, first by game. The way. Yes, that was the big uh, Calvin Johnson game early in that contest. I believe he had almost like a wide-open touchdown, a deep pass from Matthew Stafford, if memory serves me correct. So they did take part in that. The Thursday night game, which was technically a Wednesday game, remember, when the Giants were defending their title against the Cowboys because President Barack Obama was going to give his address at the time. Was it an address or was it a debate? You know what? It was the Democratic Convention. It was the debate, right? No, it was was the Democratic Convention. It was the convention. Okay, I knew it was something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he was giving his address. They didn't want it to conflict with Thursday night, so they had the game on a Wednesday night. People forget about that. So I guess that technically counts as the Giants taking part in that. Uh, They've been in Sunday night games. So they pretty much have been exposed to all of the choices that we have uh, thrown out there. And And by the way, we are 250 votes in. And Sunday afternoons at 52%. Sunday nights at 26%. 14% Thursday night and 8% Monday night. We we should have forced him to put a fifth choice. Anything but at Dallas on, on Sunday <laughs> night. How about that? I would have voted for that. Well, it was refreshing this past <laughs> season. They actually yeah. did not open up the Cowboys in prime time. And then we had to go there in week two. Well, it took them a week, I said. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the NFL is at least warming up to the idea maybe this year we but get week three. Week three maybe this year? What do you think? It's progressively moving backwards. <laughs> My goal is to get it to week three. If we could push it off for two weeks. I like the fact that you have NFC East games. I get it at the end of the season. They want them to have meaningful games. That I'm fine with. I, I don't have an issue with that. I would just like to see the initial matchups, John, be pushed back. And I'm not just talking about Cowboys matchups. I'm talking Eagles, Redskins. Wait till about the fifth week of the season for these teams to get used to one another and then start to have the division. Yeah, matchups. I agree. I don't yes. see much of a need to play divisional no. games, especially in the first week of the season. Because you want these teams to kind of get their footing first, you know what I mean? And what these teams look like in Week 1 could be a lot different than what they look like in Week 8 or 9. And I'm not saying save all eight matchups, or six matchups rather, for the second half of the season, obviously. Maybe play one divisional game in the, in the first month. I think it's kind of hard to avoid that because there's so many on the schedule. But I agree. I think you want to get most of these divisional matchups in October, November, December, two each month, something like that, and roll with it that way rather than... And, you know, look, everyone's so excited for the first week of the year anyway. Do you think Giant fans are going to be any less excited no. for the first week if they're playing, you know, the Dolphins instead of the Redskins? I don't think people are going to care about that. They're so excited for the season to start. Nobody really cares who their teams play that first week. Yeah, that's why I really don't think the NFL has to worry about putting the premier matchups out there in week number one. Now, to your point, there has been some speculation that maybe they'll do Bears-Packers yes. in the Thursday night game because of the historical connotations. It's the 100th year anniversary. So, hey, that's a divisional matchup, but that's just coincidental, John, because both of those teams happen to be two of the most historic franchises in NFL history. So I wouldn't blame the NFL for going in that direction. Yeah. But if they choose to go the route of New England, which is normally the defending champ gets the Thursday night game, they're unlikely going to put New England against a division rival. Who now, is who is New England playing? Their con- what other conference are they playing in the AFC? Because they're playing the NFC East, obviously. So you could even do something like, you know, Redskins are an old franchise, but the Patriots really aren't an old franchise. So you would have to just pick a different team 
that's very good well, for the Patriots to make that work. Who, what, what about would you want to do Patriots-Eagles, a rematch of the Super Bowl not too long yeah, ago? Yeah, you know what? That's that, possible, I think, though. That, somewhat intriguing. Yeah, you could do that. That's actually not a bad one. I'll buy that. So let's see. Oh, they're playing the AFC North, do I say? Yes. So you could do. I mean, Patriots-Steelers is always a really good matchup. I mean, you can't go wrong with that, right? But I think they'd like to usually probably put that rivalry game towards the end of the year would be my guess. And they're going to – well, they also get the Chiefs again next year. Because they play the first team from the AFC West, right? Third straight year, by the way, they play the Chiefs, too. So that could also be a fun matchup. Do a rematch of the AFC Championship game, which was a that great, great matchup. Be a bad Boy, idea. the NFL's got a lot of flexibility with that Patriots game. Huh? By the way, I don't think people will complain about Patriots-Ravens, either. No, I think that would be a fine matchup, yeah. too. Uh, listen, you're going to get two premier teams based on who the Patriots are going to play within the AFC if you want to go that direction. I don't see them putting a division rival against the Patriots. That would also be a playoff one. matchup, right? The Patriots played the Ravens in the second in the, in the divisional round? No, Patriots round? played the Chargers. The Chiefs year. played the Ravens. No, the Chiefs oh, no, the played Ravens, the... the Ravens lost in the first round of the playoffs, right? To the Chargers. Correct. Correct. Okay, yes. that's right. My bad. That was when Lamar right, Jackson right. threw the interception late. Yeah. Yep. As he was trying to mount a comeback. So Baby brain. Sorry, they've got folks. some choice. No, but they have, to your <laughs> point, they have choices. I, I'm right. with you yeah. there. So if they wanted to go in the direction of New England, it's fine. And here's the other thing: they're going to be celebrating the 100th anniversary of the league the yeah, entire no, season. No, yeah. It, it, does there really need to be that much of an emphasis on the Thursday night game being that theme? No. That, that's what I don't get. And I understand the NFL wants to set the tone early, but the bottom line is every weekend you can make something about the 100th anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is going to be something they do all year long. I mean, we already saw at the Super Bowl they did the 100th anniversary commercial, which, which was a great commercial. Yeah. And if you guys are into it, if you got to go back about two weeks now, I guess. But um, I guess it was only a week ago at the Super Bowl, right? A week ago. James Cratch, who used to cover the Giants, and he's still with NJ.com, he actually went through every single player and identified them that was in the video. And it's fun. And Eli Manning actually makes a stealth appearance in the background at some point, which some Very people didn't quick. notice. Yes. However, if you look at the behind-the-scenes video that the NFL put out, oh, I did not watch making, that. Eli is actually extremely highlighted in that. It's almost like he filmed all the scenes and then they cut him out of the commercial. It was quite interesting. I have to check he that had out. Some dialogue in at least the really? behind-the-scenes video. Yeah. Where's the behind-the-scenes video? If I'm you go on that. NFL's Twitter handle, all right, I gotta scroll back and find that. Yeah. Because I'm, sure I'm sure it was a lot of fun having all those guys in the room at the same time. I and that must imagine. have been a blast. Absolutely. Because you had young, you had old, you had in between. So there was also the funniest part, and I don't think this is spoiling it, there were three members of the 72 Dolphins yeah, uh -huh. in the commercial. And they're just sitting there, you know, sipping their champagne. Correct. Mm -hmm. Well, but if for people who may not understand the imagery behind that is the 72 Dolphins who had a perfect season always celebrate when a team loses. That's correct. That threatens matching what they did. That's why they were very excited about the Giants beating the Patriots. Right. There's always that theme. So at the behind-the-scenes video, at the tail end, they have Larry Sanka from the 72 Dolphins trying to pop the champagne open, and he's having trouble doing it. Yeah. So it's them making fun of themselves. I just thought it was funny because, you know, sometimes, at least me personally, I, I feel like the Dolphins are a little too touchy-feely about that record. Records are meant to be broken. It's not the end of the world if we eventually see another perfect team. It's all. It's okay. They're still going to be remembered for their feet.
I'll remember that every time somebody passes one of Michael Jordan's well, career Well, some records. of his records have been broken already. <laughs> That's know. why. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. It's... <laughs> you wouldn't know by your Twitter account. Yeah, well, because volume <laughs> is one thing, okay? It's efficiency, which nobody's going to match what okay, he did. Right, There's of course. There's a distinct difference, okay? Of course, okay? of course. Um, <laughs> to open up Pandora's box. As I if I haven't had these arguments before, please. Um, there was Bring something new to the team. There was one other scheduling note um, that you wanted to make a note of in terms of some of the Giants' opponents next year. Well, I think it's interesting. Last week, we finalized all eight vacancies for teams that decided to go in a different direction at their head coaching position, and the Giants are going to see three of the teams. They're going to see two in the AFC East. They're going to see the Jets, and they're going to see the Dolphins mm -hmm. with Adam Gase and Brian Flores, respectively. And then they're also going to go up against the Green Bay Packers with Matt LaFleur, who they face, by the way, this past season because he was the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator. So, you know, it, it just... You wonder, given all the turnover in the National Football League, which of these eight teams is going to have perhaps the best chance of a turnaround or the most dangerous team it will appear to be. And, you know, Green Bay to me is an intriguing team because you figure the combination of Matt LaFleur, his new ideas with Aaron Rodgers. I want to see what they do from the defensive standpoint this year because they're getting younger and younger, but you've had a number of draft classes now play with one another over the last few seasons. Green Bay, to me, I think is a strong candidate, just given the talent pool that they still have on offense to watch out for. And I would not sleep on the Dolphins. I think what Flores brought in, specifically, by the way, if you look at his coaching staff, which coincidentally has a lot of Giants connections, by the way. Pat Flaherty is going to be his offensive oh, line coach. Oh, they hired Flats. I they didn't did. see that. They hired awesome. Flats. Good. Uh, You've got Patrick Graham is going to be his defensive coordinator. They worked together, Flores and Graham, in New England. But Graham, of course, was here under McAdoo for two seasons as a defensive line coach. Rob Leonard, who's been a defensive assistant here for the last few seasons, is going to be the linebacker's coach. He was assistant defensive line coach yes, last year. Yes, he moved around. Mm -hmm. he, he was a, a variety of positions. Yep. And so, you know, you take that into consideration, a lot of Giants connections. But he's brought in a lot of vets to surround him, as well as Jim Caldwell, by the way, former head coach of line. I got four words for you, Lance. Who is the? quarterback yeah of course that's, that, a that's always going to be the million dollar question. <laughs> well they've got Tannehill under contract still and if you want to still go in that direction he's been banged up over the last few seasons maybe you see what Jim Caldwell and company could do yeah but, some people do think he might get let go well 13 million dollars is what they'll save but also it's a 13 million cap hit right. so mm -hmm. it's not as if it's an overwhelming savings right and you know the Dolphins also need to say to themselves do we feel that there's somebody in free agency or somebody in the draft that is going to be a tremendous upgrade over Ryan Tannehill? I mean, I'm looking at the free agent group, and I'm saying to myself, does anyone have ties to the Patriots? The answer is no. And remember, Chase O'Shea is their offensive coordinator. It's not Jim Caldwell. Caldwell's the associate head coach slash offensive guy. So he's going to help out, but Chase O'Shea was with the Patriots as a quarterback coach. He's going to be the offensive coordinator. Joe Flacco, is that an upgrade over Ryan Tannehill, John? Are you going to let go of Tannehill to go in the direction of Flacco? I think you're looking at a draft for them. Okay, so you're eliminating free agency, meaning Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not eliminating it, but I think draft is the— I think Bridgewater is a possibility because he's younger. I, my guess is that this new Dolphins regime is going to want to draft a quarterback. Well, and it makes sense. You'd want to build on a young guy, especially on Flores. I'm a new head coach. It's somebody that we can groom, and he was given a five-year— guaranteed contract so he has security why not go hand in hand with your quarterback do they aggressively move up in the draft if they're that enamored with Dwayne Haskins that's a good question I think that's a team to certainly consider do they aggressively pursue a Nick Foles 
Is that another possibility? Yeah. Flores did see him firsthand the previous year in the Super Bowl. Is that somebody who's young enough at 29 years old that they figure that they could build around for the next four or five years? That, I think, is something realistic that they can look at. But I also would not dismiss and rule out Ryan Tannehill. I, I still think he's young. I think the problem with him is he just hasn't been able to stay healthy over the last few years. And the other thing I'll add, not a legitimate excuse, but he also has been playing the game of musical chairs with offensive coordinators over the last few seasons. They haven't yeah. had a great deal of stability even when Adam Gase was there. He made some changes himself. Yeah, but it, it is Gase's system. It's not like the system changed. No, it, you're right. So. It, it is Gase's system, but I'm talking about even before that, you mix in a different voice, you change quarterbacks, coaches. Listen, guys are focusing on different techniques. You at least need to take that into consideration. Alex Smith, who I still think I mean, unfortunately, the injury that he's dealing with, I don't know if we're going to see him back on the field, but I always thought Alex Smith had upside, and to me, what held him back was, regardless of the coach that was there, it was a new offensive coordinator, a new voice, and it wasn't coincidentally until Harbaugh came in and had Greg Roman that Alex Smith started to flourish. So I think there's evidence across the NFL, veteran quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, you give them stability, and then all of a sudden, things click like that, and Alex Smith probably is the poster child for that. 201-939-4513. We got a free agent list here, but I think we've done enough for now. Maybe we'll get to that list as we move forward in the show. Remember, folks, if you want to vote, when do you want the Giants to play on opening week next year? Thursday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night or Monday night. Go to the Giants Twitter feed at Giants to cast your vote. Right now, Sunday afternoon leads with 54% with almost 400 votes cast. 26% Sunday night, 12% Thursday night, 8% on that Monday night doubleheader. But let's get to the phones for now and start with Dylan in Canton, New York, who will lead us off. Hey, Dylan. Hey, good afternoon, guys. How's it going? We're doing well. What's up? All right, Dylan. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the AAF, but sure, I wanted to hear my vote real quick on the on Twitter. Sure, um, do both. I voted for Sunday night, which I, I didn't catch what you guys voted for, so I wasn't sure. Uh, well, Lance and I are both selfish individuals, <laughs> and we don't like working till 2 a.m., so we voted for Sunday afternoon because we're old men. <laughs> gotcha. I voted Sunday night just because I like the NBC crew, and, uh, you know, I, I just kind of like that. But I'm hoping that whoever we play, it'll, it will get a win week one. We haven't had that since, I think, 2016. Well, Dylan, I'm going to give you some advice. If you want your best chance at a win, vote for Sunday afternoon. Because if you're playing Sunday night, it's going to be against a very good team. So if you want a soft landing to start your year, you should prefer Sunday afternoon or Monday night where you might not also get the best opponent. So if, if, if winning is your top priority, you should hope the Giants play on Sunday afternoon if you want the worst level opponent. That's a fair yeah, take. That, that <laughs> I don't think there's a lot of gimmies on the schedule for the no, Giants, there, but I get your point. There are, there are never any gimmies yes. on any schedule. You know how that goes. Right. Um, but with the, with the AAF, I think it had a pretty good uh, opening weekend. I got the catch a little bit of the first game Saturday and then uh, a little bit uh, last night. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of like it. You know, it's, it's not as fast-paced, but it still is kind of a faster pace. And, um, like, with the, the way the speed of the game is with the players and stuff. But um, I kind of like some of the stuff, like, 
the way they do the mics, like you can hear some a lot more of the players. Yeah, they on have the, the coaches mic'd up too. That's a good point. They the coaches mic'd yeah. up, huh? Yeah, we hear them go through the headset and what they tell That's the players cool. in terms like of play that. Now you'll never see the NFL adopt that. That's wishful thinking, but it is nice to oh, see. Oh wait a second, you don't think Bill Belichick would want everyone listening to what he's oh, saying to Ernie Adams yeah, over absolutely. his headset each yes, game? One hundred percent, or any coach to that yeah, matter. Exactly. It's one thing to put a montage together after the game. By the not way, during the game, you know. Everyone jokes on radio about the eight-second delay. If you're going to mic coaches in the NFL, you better have like an eight-minute delay because <laughs> you are going to be bleeping things left and right yeah, that's for every coach in the league. That's never going to happen Yeah, as exactly. much as people wish for that. Right. And uh, there was one, um, I don't remember which game it was, but they had the camera angle on like the line of scrimmage type thing um, when they were on the goal line. I don't remember which game it was, but they had a – Kind of a unique camera angle on that, and they nice. the quarterback ended up throwing into the flat for a touchdown, and it kind of like they almost did like a 180 with the camera following the ball, and it was pretty cool um, to see that. I, I, but, I look forward to checking it out. And then the the one thing that I found interesting is that, and I don't know if this is like factual or not, but I feel like with a lot of the players that are in the AF, I feel there's at least one player on each team that was uh, with the Giants at least at some point. And I feel like the Giants are like one of the only teams that um, fit that category, which I thought was pretty interesting. There's a lot of guys in there that um, I just I, for, I forgot all about, um, whether they were on the practice squad or if, I mean, unless you're talking like Demontre Moore or Will Hill where they were more known, but um, there's quite a few former practice squad guys on there. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and look, Dylan, the way the Giants, and here's the thing. When a team goes through a new head coach and a new GM, and frankly, two coaches over three years and then two GMs, you're going to have so much roster turnover. I mean, the Giants probably had, what, like 100 different guys in and out of this locker room this year, it seemed like to me. So it, you're going to have a lot of those types of players in a league like this when you have that much turnover. So that that does not surprise me, but... I think that's cool. I agree. It'll, it'll make it more fun for Giants fans. And in fairness, a number of the guys, I mean, I'm perusing some of the names, also were on the 90-man roster or were invited to training camp and didn't necessarily make the roster too. So, But you're right. To your point, Dylan, I, as I was perusing some of the rosters and I have the list in front of me, at least every team has about one or two guys uh, in terms of some guys that were fringe Giants players, meaning they didn't make the roster, and, and some guys that were even draft picks. I mean, Adrian Robinson is in the uh, AAF uh, the former Giants tight end. I mean, that's another name oh, that we please, haven't necessarily please, brought up very often. Please tell me Ramsey's Barton's on a roster. I did not see Ramsey's ah! Barton's name. Yeah, I know. That is probably the biggest disappointment of all. Our big blue kickoff Hall of Fame member. With the exception no? of Ramsey's Barton. Everybody else, though, he you went probably from, would recognize the name. Could have went from Cal Poly right to the uh, San Diego. What is it? San Diego Steam? What is that? What is it called? I am not. Is, San Diego Fleet. 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 Yes. Sorry. You got to be politically correct on this program. What's, how is steam not politically correct? No, I'm just saying, meaning you, you want to be on point. You don't want to mess up the name. It's not so politically AAF, correct. It's just being correct. Well, everybody's very sensitive <laughs> to the AAF name. So I'm just getting on top of you early so we don't okay. uh, ruffle any feathers on this program. <laughs> I can see that we're ready. We're getting overly sensitive in that topic. So, But no, you're 100% right, Dylan. There are a lot of giants across the board. So that at least perhaps gives... Uh, people some intrigue and interest in the uh, thank rosters. you dylan yes yeah yeah and it, ma it makes the off season definitely a lot easier you know having football back so uh, i definitely 
starting to be a pretty good fan of that that league, and I hope it stays around and is successful for yeah. next coming year. Yeah, we no, agree. It's got the Thank you, Dylan. Appreciate so the call, buddy. That's is, certainly positive. Is that Ramsey's Barton? <laughs> Dad um, just put an image. I almost feel like we should like stream the call sheet live during the show. People can click on it to show what Dad's showing us on the call sheet because uh, I don't know where do where this do you have any idea where this came from. <laughs> Please type in on the sheet, Dan, where this came from. He typed in a sheet of Ramsey's Barden doing ballet. And I can't explain it any other way than that. He's got a nice leotard going. Did he join a ballet company? I need to know the answers I need to know the answers to all these questions. And I'm not gonna read the NBA player efficiency ratings, Dan. Sorry. That that's not I'm gonna erase that. That's not gonna happen. We're not getting Why? That. Why don't you? I think actually it's <laughs> worth noting. Two oh one nine three five four five one three. Yeah, BJ Armstrong, right? Was he in the top of that? Oh list? yeah, BJ Armstrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go the to least th- efficiency. Chart. Hey, he was a good three point no, shooter. Of course. Let's go to Duke no in Queens. He's up next. Duke, what's going on, pal? Hey, what's going on, guys? How what's we do, up? Duke? John. John, you made me cry the other day, man. Why? You put Josh Rosen, despite the injuries, in, in, in such above Dwayne Haskins. I said if Rosen did not have any injury issues, he would be a better prospect than Dwayne Haskins. That 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 hurt me because I, I look up to you the most on this show, and that hurt me. But you're entitled to your opinion, of course. Um, and I just wanted to ask both of you. I have two questions in, in the comments. My first question is, who do you want? We, we, we know the names. We know Eli's old. We know we're going to choose one soon, a quarterback soon. Who do you guys want? This year? Despite, like, uh, any year. Because you might not get one this year. You I... might even skip next year for some reason. So who do you guys want just in general? Like one name that you would like to be the starting quarterback in the future for the Giants? I wanted Sam Darnold. That's who I wanted. No, I mean, that's possible. No, 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 John, that's, that's possible right now. That's possible to get. I, in, in my opinion right now, based on where the Giants are selecting, I think Eli Manning will be the starting quarterback for the entire 2019 season. Okay, and then afterwards, who do you like? Because what I'm saying is like the sophomores are going to be juniors and they're going to be eligible. To me, Duke, you, such, you, you starting next year, and I, 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 yeah. I, I haven't studied the guys for next year yet. I, I, I think Herbert's a good prospect. I think, he's, gonna be I, I think he's more of your traditional quarterback. To me, you have to have – a young, few guy, you know, your future, long-term future starting quarterback in place in 2020. You have to. I would have preferred to have it last year or this year. I like the class last year better than the class this year. Um, I'm not a big fan of any of the guys available in free agency, to be honest with you. So to me, you figure out a way. If you're not going to pick a quarterback this year, and who knows? Maybe the people upstairs love Haskins to pick him at six. Maybe they love Drew Locke or Daniel Jones or Kyler Murray. I don't know who they love. But if you do not wind up with a quarterback in this year's draft in the first or second round, then I'm more in favor of if you're going to find a guy, find a guy high and pick him high. I think second, third, fourth-round quarterbacks can be very, very dicey from time to oh, time. Yeah. So to me, you gather some draft capital this year. If that means trading down a little bit and picking up more picks in 2020, you do it. You know there's going to be at least one or two or three quarterbacks coming out next year that are supposed to be good. It's more realistic, and you have a better chance of trading up for a guy when there are multiple options. So I think the most realistic scenario is gathering draft capital this year, doing what you can to add some picks, and then trading up and picking the guy next year that you like the best. That would be my way of going about things. But again, if the Giants love a guy enough this year to pick him at six, whoever that might be, great. Good for them. Yeah, I think okay, that... Yeah, no, go ahead, man. Go, no, go, go ahead, Duke. Go ahead, Duke. I'll piggyback off of what I, you said. 
Okay, okay. No, I was, I was going to go to a new topic. I was going to get to my second question. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that John's game plan is realistic. I, I mean, Tua and Herbert are a little bit more intriguing to me than perhaps the guys in this year's class. And from too, throw but, them out there. you know, also want to see that they stay healthy. Of course. And there's no durability questions. So many, can't things, assume that. So yeah. many things can change. There's so many variables. So when you ask the question, you know, who do I want to see as the Giants' future quarterback, it, it's really the land of the unknown. But I don't think, and I stand by this premise, I don't think that you should force the issue, even though the urgency may be there because Eli Manning, you don't know how many more years he's going to have left. And even if he does play, let's say, one or two more years, you still always need to plan ahead. That's the whole point of the draft. I always say this. The guys you're drafting in 2018 are not just to impact the roster in 2018. They're to impact the roster through the duration of their rookie contracts and beyond. So the rationale can never be, well, I got to take the guy that's going to come in and make the biggest impact year one. No, you want to take the guy that's going to have the biggest impact for the now and the future. That's always how you have to think about via the draft. So if you don't think that the quarterback of this year's class has a huge ceiling, meaning he may make strides year one, year two, and then fall off year three and year four, why the hell would you go out and draft that player? It makes absolutely no sense. So if they don't have a love affair with any of the quarterbacks, you don't take a quarterback based on that. There's a lot of people that believe, well, you're not going to pick this high moving forward, so therefore you have to take the quarterback. So what you're saying is need should be your direction only meaning the urgency is to find a future quarterback. So he may be the sixth best quarterback compared to the 2018 class, but you should take him because you don't think you're going to pick sixth overall next year. I, I just I hate that rationale. I, I don't think that's good football, X's and O's, and good football IQ. So I'm not in favor of that. Now, I don't know what the Giants' front office is thinking, but just because you think that the Giants are going to be in position to take the best quarterback in 2019 doesn't mean he's the best quarterback compared to previous classes, or a long-term viable option. People at least need to look at that through that lens. Wow, good stuff, man. That was, that was very good. That was good. All right, my second question like is this. Uh, <laughs> my second question is this. Uh, so Mike McCarthy, he didn't, you know, unfortunately he didn't get to a team, he's, you know, so he's waiting out to next year. Supposedly that's what he said. You know, this is a controversial question, I guess, in a sense. But if, let's say, we, we don't do as good as as we'd like, which, in my opinion, is, is making the playoffs. So let's say we don't make the playoffs next year. Do you think going to get Mike McCarthy is a viable option? Do you think that's something the Giants run office will, you know, sort of think about hard and not just like a, a little glimpse? Duke, it's I like would a real hard thought. Duke, yeah. but bar, barring some type of apocalyptic disaster next year, where you're looking at you know two and fourteen or three and thirteen again, something like that, I would be absolutely shocked, blown away if the Giants made a coaching change after next season. You need continuity in this league. The worst franchises in this league are the franchises that are continually changing their head coach. The Giants, it killed them to let go of McAdoo after two years, despite everything that happened that year that made them eventually pull the trigger. They do not like making a lot of quick, rapid changes. That's not the way they want to do this. Um, Dave Gettleman has faith in Pat Shermer, so does ownership. They love the way he set the culture this year and, frankly, didn't have any of the problems Ben McAdoo did when he had his year the year prior. So uh, I would be very, very surprised if they end up making any type of coaching change after next year. Again, barring some type of unforeseen apocalyptic disaster that I wouldn't even fathom at this point.
Well, I think if you look around the league, you also will see, Duke, that the more changes a franchise makes at the head coaching position, the less likely they make the playoffs. Look at the Cleveland Browns. Look at the eight teams that made changes this offseason. Denver is really the only exception to the rule because they had grabbed Peyton Manning, they had a really good defense, and they were able to get to a few Super Bowls here or there. Outside of that, everybody else has pretty much struggled. The Bengals are the other exception, but the Bengals also had Marvin Lewis for a good 15 to 16 years. And I guess the, I guess the Cardinals did okay with Bruce Arians, and they had him there for a while, right? But I'm, I'm, I was looking back at Marvin Lewis's beginning, which was 2003. Right. Right. That's what I took it for these eight teams, and the teams at the top of the list are the ones that had the least amount of changes oh, yeah, that sure. were making the playoffs consistently. So mm -hmm. when you look at the Giants, they've also tried to subscribe to the philosophy of less change, the better. And Dave Gettleman just came in. They clearly have made it clear they're trying to retool this roster. It would stun me if that quickly they would go in a different direction, regardless of perhaps the ups and downs that they may go through in the 2019 season. The whole point is you're bringing in a new roster. You're bringing in a young nucleus. You want the coach and the staff to develop these players. Now, all of a sudden, after two years, you want to go in a different direction? Just it doesn't add up. Yeah, and to Duke me. really, and I know yeah. fans, and I know Duke fans probably don't want to hear this, but last year was as much of a cleanup year as anything else. You were That's transitioning true. from the old roster and the old coach to the new one. This is really the first year now where they're going to have a year or two off seasons rather to bring in all the guys that they want, and you can really start going in the right direction here. And Duke, damn true, John. That's damn true. And and um, one one last question, I'll take yeah, it off here. Sure. Um, if you want to, whoever just spoke, if you want to say something before I ask the last question and bounce. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. Finish up. No, go ahead. Okay. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, one free agent that we can use, so like an Earl Thomas, Tyron Matthew, uh, Zedarius Smith, on, one free agent that we could use that we actually should stay away from. So some, so like a misleading Free agent. Okay, and so thank you guys for okay. taking my call. Appreciate the call, Duke. That's Thanks a good question. Who is right, who's a dangerous guy? And thank you for the call, Duke. Appreciate it. Who's the dangerous guy out there that is tempting? And you're like, ooh, he intrigues me, but but can get you into trouble. That's a good question. Well, like to get you into trouble. Okay, now I feel like we're adding a new caveat there. I thought we're going maybe for just an under the radar guy. That perhaps not a lot of teams oh, see, I, would I be necessarily looking at. I thought he was going for tempting, but then maybe you should stay away. Well, I think they're both good categories. That's how I read that. that okay, so we can sense. get both. I think Earl Thomas is a could get you into trouble guy. Because he's coming off of injuries, he's older, there's no doubt he's a wonderful player, and he plays a position the Giants can use some help at. But at thirty years old, a lot of big leg injuries. Yeah. I proceed with caution would be the name I'd put in front of that one. I think that's fair. Well, I also think he, somebody's going to spend big money on Earl Thomas. And that's my point. I don't necessarily think that the Giants have to go in the direction of just grab the guy that's going to cost the most and is a big-name free agent, and they need to make a splash to appease to the court of public opinion. I think you know they're going to focus on some of these complementary players that are out there that perhaps they think are going to add depth and stability to a defense that certainly had its fair share of question marks and an offense that is looking, I think, to add that second layer across the board where in the event somebody gets hurt, you figure that they could come in and make an impact. Now, this name was brought up 
on a previous show. I like him. Bryce Callahan is one of those under-the-radar free agent targets that I don't think is going to cost you to break open the piggy bank. Slot corner. And he's coming off a season-ending injury. So that's a name that I would throw out there that would be sort of the opposite of where John went Mm -hmm. in in terms of somebody that has more of the name appeal and you don't necessarily want to throw money at. Well, Here's another guy that I would maybe shy away from on your topic of Earl Thomas. Ziggy Ansah is another guy that I, was, I would I actually, be I thought about cautious using about, given his injury history. Once again, the love affair with the pass rushers in this league, the depth at that position, John, in the draft. Do you need to go out and spend big money, or do you say to yourself, hey, we can find a younger version who's not going to cost nearly as much who will have on a rookie contract? So that would be another name, following the lead of somebody like who you threw out, Earl Thomas. A name that I would consider, but I also think comes with some question marks, is HaHa Clinton Dix. Considering the Giants may want to look at the safety mm-hmm. position, the Alabama ties, the land Solid Collins, veteran. Solid guy. But you also get to a point where how much money do I truly want to invest in somebody like that? But a name that I think is worth looking at. Brandon Graham is another name that I would toy with. Considering, I think he's going to get a lot of demand on the yeah, open the, market. The only thing that worries me about Brandon Graham is his age, but he has shown zero signs of slowing down, never misses any games because of injury, so that wouldn't scare me quite as much with him. Yeah, and another name, but I think he's going to also get a lot of money, is Grady Jarrett of the oh, Atlanta Falcons. And well, again, he's on an end. I, I think the Giants... Well, because they drafted a lot of defensive correct. tackles. I get that. Now, the guy who would really scare me, if I'm a team out there looking to spend money... And I don't know if the Texans will let him go. Jadavian Clowney would scare the bejesus out of me. Because no one will doubt he's super talented and skilled. But, boy, that guy is a walking questionable on the injury report guy. Yeah. He feels like every week he's questionable with a back or a knee or a leg or whatever. He's always on the injury report. There's nothing that can destroy a guy's value in career quicker than injuries. And then the most difficult thing to predict, which is why it's so tricky. What good are you if you can't stay on the field? You can't make the team in the tub is the old phrase. Well, it is. your value dissipates if you don't have the ability to stay on the field. I mean, now, in fairness, you know, there are a lot of people that are starting to classify Olivier Vernon if we're going to bring it home to the Giants. I don't think that's necessarily fair because Vernon, if you remember, during his entire Dolphins tenure, had never missed a game. If it happens again this year, I could yes, see you going. Then I think you could start to head into that narrative. But Clowney, to your point, we're talking about throughout the course of his career. and Who's really young. I mean, he's just coming off his rookie contract. Well, here's another player. His teammate, J.J. Watt, right? J.J. Watt's yeah. injury prone. Well, he finally played. Did he play all 16 this year? I think he might have, right? But, but the last two or three years before that, he was a disaster. So you say to yourself, yeah, I want the playmaker on my team, but for the amount of money that I have to give up, Am I going to get a big return? He did play all 16 games this past year. The previous two years, eight games combined. Yeah. Now, prior to that, he played all 16. So, you know what? He was similar to Olivier Vernon. This is actually a great compare for Vernon, to be honest with you. But notice how you don't necessarily put things in perspective very often, and you think about him being sidelined more often than being on the field, and Watt gets labeled as that injury-prone guy I'm a little bit concerned you about. Know, yeah, he's amazing, man. I mean, he's 6'5", 290 pounds, Lance. He's not like this 265-pound bend-the-edge pass rusher. The last three years he's played 16 games, he had 20 sacks, 17 and a half sacks, and 16 sacks. For a guy that's almost 300 pounds, 
That's amazing. He's a disruptive force. There's no doubt about that. Play inside, outside, boy. He's a heck of a player. Yeah, but all of those stats, in fairness, that you're reading is when he's out there for 16 games. Well, that's what you know said. what he's capable mm-hmm. of, yes. and I don't think anybody would doubt that. The thing is, if J.J. Watt gives you 10 games, is it cost-effective? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I, I thought that was a good question from Duke. Maybe we can put that in our pocket and use that for a future show. I like that one. One other thing, by the way, that I wanted to piggyback off of that Duke brought up, because I'm sure if we're talking about two-year elements or timetables for a head coach if it's too long or too short people are going to come back well they only kept Ben McAdoo for two seasons the way I will counter that is Ben McAdoo was also the offensive coordinator under Tom Coughlin so he had an opportunity to be around the team build some offensive continuity a little bit different if you want to make a comparison to a coach that came in in 2018 and I will add this as well if they had went three and 13 and all the problems were simply on the field problems I think you have a different conversation, too. Different context. You had guys that were, I mean, literally, you know, getting suspended and things like that. And you had a lot of issues in that way. So, and that reflects on the head coach, unfortunately. 201-939-4513. We have some Giants news, actually. This just got published up on Giants.com. And it makes sense. Lance had previously mentioned that Robbie Leonard had departed as the assistant defensive ends or defensive line coach. He basically coached the outside linebackers and defensive ends. He had departed to the Dolphins and also to Shea Townsend, who was the assistant defensive backs coach, took a full, not full time, but the full defensive backs coach, longer an assistant. I forget where he went. The Bears. Remember, he it was went the to. Bears. Thank you. So he's now the defensive backs coach there. And the Giants have replaced those two players by hiring Mike Dawson and Henry Baker. Dawson will replace Robbie Leonard and be the outside linebackers coach, while Baker will be the team's assistant defensive backs coach. A couple quotes from Pat Shermer. Uh, We are thrilled to add Mike and Henry to our coaching staff. They are both outstanding teachers, communicators, and motivators. They're also great people, and we look forward to both of them contributing to our success. So I would imagine this probably means, and I imagine we would have had moves by now, that the Giants' offensive Assistant coaching staff will be completely intact from 2018 to 2019. Stand to reason. Plus, when you also take into consideration, for the most part, the Bengals and the Dolphins have their staffs together. Uh, the Dolphins announced everybody. I think Zach Taylor of Cincy, I may be wrong. I think maybe he still has a few more to hire, but not major openings we're talking about at this point. Did anyone hire the former Patriots offensive line coach, um, Guglielmo? He was let go by the Colts, you're talking yes. about. I don't believe anyone added There was speculation that Flores would add him. Correct, and because he Flats knew him from New England. Right. Correct. So right now, I don't think anyone brought him in because the Bengals brought in Jim Turner, who was with Zach Taylor in Miami, and that created some headlines because of the bullying issue in Miami. So, yeah, both of those teams already hired their offensive line coaches. With that being said, I, I can't think of anybody else unless somebody makes a change over the course of the summer if they're not content with their current offensive line coach. So in all likelihood, he's going to be a free agent. Yeah, let's see if Gouge got hired by anybody. I, I do not believe I don't he did. Remember I don't else believe him he up. did either, but I'm just double-checking it. No, I do not see it. And he had success there. He had success when he was in New England. So that's interesting. 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. And uh, this is from Pat Shermer, by the way. 
um, end of season pressure. The question, when you look back from when you got hired until now, you obviously know a lot more about the organization, blah, blah, blah. You talked a lot about distancing yourself from 3-13. and 13. This is the quote from Shermer. Thank you, Mr. Salmon, on this. I don't know what I expected from that standpoint. When you take these jobs, you really don't know much about anything in the building other than the history and the tradition of some of the players, the ownership, and the people in positions of authority. But having not worked with them as coaches, we get a feel for players and people after we work with them. So I certainly have a much better view of what this organization is, and I can help more or have more educated ideas as to what we can do moving forward because I know the players. I now have a staff of guys that I've worked with. I mentioned it this week that other than Bill McGovern, I really didn't work with any of these other coaches. I purposely didn't hire some of my friends who are now no longer my friends, but I'm really pleased. And again, we can all grow. There's things that we can all do better. But I've got a bunch of guys here that I'm looking forward to moving forward with. That comes back to the point of, A, the problem with turning coaching staffs over and also how last year was kind of a figure-things-out year and clean up what happened prior before you move ahead to 2019. Yeah, which is another element in play when we talk about building continuity. So not only did you bring a new head coach in, you brought a new head coach in that just said he purposely hired individuals who he did not have established relationships with because he Mm -hmm. didn't want to perhaps fall into similar traps from previous coaching assignments other than Bill McGovern. and Who was here before, by the way. Correct. So now he goes through an entire season where he learned the players, he learned the coaches, and vice versa. So now you figure in year two, the goal is for everybody to take a step forward because there's more knowledge and more insight that can be brought to the table. So why after now a second season would you choose to go into a completely different direction? It it just would not be fundamentally sound football rationale. Steve in Northwest Ohio joins us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Steve? Hi, John. Hi, Lance. What's What's going on? Um, Not a whole lot. I've called in a few times. I've listened since the the inception. Oh, appreciate that. uh, Only called in a few times. Um, I have something that I've been kind of thinking about for years, to be honest. Sure. And um, Paul Dettino is as crazy as you think he is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's along the lines of like Paul Dettino and and uh, and uh, back and forth with uh, with Odell Beckham. I was kind of convinced for a little while that uh, the game was going to a passing game, and and that um, Ahmad Bradshaw and Brandon Jacobs didn't play as large of a role as I thought they did. Uh, but I'm back to feeling that way again. That when we lost those guys and we lost our running game and that offensive line, that was when coaches started to lose their jobs, and and we just kept every year, year after year, just trying to get it right. You yeah, know? Steve, I agree, but I, I I I will say this: while the running game is important, this is a passing league. If you uh, at some point when you're making a run, whether it's coming back in a fourth quarter or making a playoff run, whatever the case might be you have to eventually be able to pass the ball consistently in order to win football games. So just something that uh, I believe, while running the ball is important, balance is important, eventually you are going to have to pass the ball to win some of these games against some of the better teams. It's just the way it is. But you do see that the teams that won consistently in the playoffs have been able to run the ball effectively, and I think – the balance is the most important thing that every team should strive for. Yes, it's a pass-happy league. You look at what Patrick Mahomes did for Kansas City, but I think what's lost in that is what Kareem Hunt did before he was let go. And then when you saw the players that replaced Kareem Hunt, Kansas City was still a dangerous team in terms of running the football and also as an extension of the running game, dumping it off to the running back. So 
Steve, I'm with you. There is value for a strong running game, and even if you're a pass-happy team, you still need a strong offensive line to protect your quarterback. That is true. So those are all common elements that go hand-in-hand with one another. But I, I think that that was why the nation was shocked at the Jared Goff that they saw in the in the Super Bowl is because everybody thought the Rams were back when C.J. Anderson was running the ball. And uh, all of a sudden, all these plays were open. Everything looked easy when the running game was working. And then they couldn't get it going in the Super Bowl. Jared Goff went back to looking like a bust. Steve, quite frankly, even in the game when the Rams ran it all over the Cowboys, Goff didn't play well in that game either, to be quite honest with you. They won because they ran it for 300 yards. And Jared Goff's still a young quarterback. Remember, he he didn't really take over as a full-time starter until Sean McVay came over. He only played seven games with Jeff Fisher's coaching staff. So, I mean, the jury's still out if people now all of a sudden want to label him as a bust. But Mm -hmm. to your point, Steve, New England took away the run game just like any other good defense is going to do. And then, yes, under those circumstances, the quarterback's going to have to make plays. I actually thought Jared Goff looked decent towards the tail end of the game when they started to move the chains before the interception. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, if you're New England, you wanted him to throw the ball about 40 times, which is exactly where he ended up with. I think it was about 38 or 39. And you put any quarterback in that situation, Steve, I would argue you're going to have issues on offense because you're going to be more predictable. You force Drew Brees to throw the ball 45 times, his interceptions are going to go up. You throw Tom Brady in a situation where he has to throw 45 times, you're going to put him in a, even in an uncomfortable situation. I don't think Jared Goff is on an island of his own. Yeah, exactly. That's what I. That's exactly what I believe. And the, the same goes for Eli. Um, real, real quick, uh, if I can, real quick. Yeah, of course, you got it. Um, I heard an interview with Joe Staley last summer mm-hmm. with Peter King, and he brought up as a little tidbit, just a little side note of their conversation, he brought up the impact that fantasy football has had on the National Football League. And and it's not so crazy to think when you consider that, you know, they're always trying to be profitable and they're always trying to appeal to young audiences, female audiences. Um, they're trying to appeal to everybody. And if fantasy football plays a role in getting all these different people to tune in and have interest in the NFL, then the NFL has to take note of that. Absolutely. So, and uh, I wonder, and like pro football focus, I don't know how much money they make off of the NFL, off of football teams, but they would make a heck of a lot less money if people were not playing fantasy football. Absolutely. So therefore, they have interest in promoting the passing game and saying things like play action has no effect or the way that you run the ball has no effect on play action. Well, no, no, Steve, 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 no, 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 Steve, well, no, Steve, well, the, the data proves it. I've seen the data. They've shown it to me. They are not fudging the data. They're not giving you bad math. And by the way, in fantasy football, you know who the top players in the drafts are? Ain't receivers, ain't quarterbacks, they're running backs. So fantasy football does not frown on running the football, and you'll see a million of people screaming at their TV every Sunday that owns, you know, Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott or Todd Gurley just screaming, run the damn football, and that's what they're going to do. So there isn't any reason for people that want to promote fantasy football to want to take anything away from the running game because running backs are the most valuable players in fantasy football. Especially in PPR leagues, where it's also point per reception, Correct. and yep. running backs like Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, who are heavily sure. involved in Even the pass Ezekiel game, Elliott, sure. have tremendous value with respect to that. 
but you can't keep them happy with a bunch of 13 to 10 games, though, either. No, you can't, but, you can it, but in fairness, listen, I didn't hear the Joe Staley Thanks, interview Steve, we run and, and appreciate the phone call, Steve, the Niners offensive yep. lineman who he's referring to. But at the end of the day, people are going to consume fantasy football, whether the game's good or not, because it's a statistical-based entertainment value, enjoyable. It's not just entertainment well, value. It's a monetary no, no, value no, monetary, for people, no, too. But, but people also, but it, it's a form of entertainment, meaning you, you you know there's a reward at the end of the day or at the end of the season, so that's more of a reason why you're invested and in it. And it's still competition. You don't care yeah. if you win your game 90 to 87 or 125 to 121. Uh, I mean, listen, if your running back had a bad day and he only had 50 right. yards, you got five mm-hmm. points, what are you going to do? You're going to quit playing fantasy football? You know that's life. There's as long as you win your game, that's correct. So, so I, I don't think that where I disagree with, and I'm not trying to put words in the last caller's mouth, but I think he was insinuating that the league has incentive to keep scoring up to appease to fantasy football. That was my takeaway, John, from that call, and maybe the players are seeing that. And yeah, I, I'm sure that the more scoring, the more entertainment value, the more casual fans are going to be involved too. But whether we have to sit through nine, six games or 54 to 51 games, I guarantee you the participation in fantasy football will not dissipate. It I, will not. I do believe that higher low scoring can affect ratings. I think your casual fan is more likely to enjoy a game and stick with the game if it's 48-45 than 6 nothing. I can't tell you how many people that I had to not get into arguments with but try to correct, for lack of a better word, that said, oh, that Super Bowl stunk. It's a close game. Yeah, it was a good better game. That's all I, that's all I care about. Give me a close game. I don't care how many points you well, score. But I think but I think we're exceptions to the rule. I think you get your people that maybe gonna tune into, you know, a half dozen games a year. They want to sit down, they want to see great plays, you know, catches, running up and down the field. That's what they want to see, which is fun. I get that. I got no problem with that either. So I, I do think it's not a surprise and it's not a coincidence that most of the rule changes over the past ten years have benefited the offense and not the defense. Well, but I also think that that's a result of the whole safety angle too to I think this, that's true where you know you don't have necessarily guys on offense launching at defensive players correct more often than not it's usually vice versa so I think both of those concepts John to your point go hand in hand but the other thing that I would argue is yes it wasn't a high scoring affair but exciting well-played defense is also a quality correct. product on television for example Jason McCourty hustling down in the back of the end zone and knocking the ball away from Brandon Cooks that was an entertaining play to watch sure was. yeah Brandon Cooks didn't make the play, but you're going to tell me that you didn't want to maybe see the replay after that, John, to see the hustle and to see the ability of a player having two and two and saying, hey, that wasn't my assignment, but I got to make the player. Also, we're going to give up a wide-open touchdown. I'm with you. So, you know, that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect is the hypocrisy of the situation. Okay, let's not be naive, people. You have the same individuals that cry about the Super Bowl. Now we're two weeks removed. We're coming (laughs) up, and now they're crying that they want the NFL back. So hold on, John. What is it here? You either accept what the Super Bowl is, good or bad, and then don't tell me that you're yearning for another Super Bowl two weeks later. You, you understand? You can't complain about the product and then all of a sudden be on your hands and knees wishing football was still around. Well, and, and then you had all the more traditional fans complaining after that Rams-Chiefs game midseason where the two teams combined for 90-something points, and people weren't happy with that either. Yeah, so this is why I say, and whether fans get annoyed with this next statement, if I am running an organization, I'm not listening to the court of public opinion, period. I am thinking about my front office, what's good for my team from that lens. I can't please America 
I can't please Twitter, can't please Instagram, can't please Facebook. There's no point of running your life in the eyes of what people are going to write on two or three lines of commentary. That's true, but you can based on how many people are going to turn the channel to your games every weekend. Well, Because but, that's how you run your league. Well, and that's fine. I have not looked at the ratings numbers overall, and I don't even know if that number's out. What were the ratings for 2018 compared to 2017? I'd just be curious to take a look at that. Uh, they're up. They're, they're up. up. They're up. Yeah. So once When again, every other TV property went down. So, once again, I, do you think the NFL then has to have serious, hardcore conversations about, boy, we need to revamp our motto right now? No, but I, but I think it's fair to say that scoring has been going up. That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, when we see the elite teams go up against one another, we get a game sure, like that. Sure, which is fine. Again, as, isn't as that all as, relative to As long as it's well-played football, that's all people care about. Hey, I, Dan, I do me a favor. Pick up Charlie and Len. I, I need to get to this news that, that you gave me. Let them know. I'm happy to put them on, but each one only gets 30 seconds if they want to come on. If they don't, we'll happy to take their calls first thing tomorrow. Give them the option. I'll do it either way. I don't care. But Kyler Murray put up a tweet. And here we go. This is the quote from Mr. Murray on his own Twitter feed. I will report this because clearly it is news from the subject itself. Moving forward, I am firmly and fully committed, committing my life and time to becoming an NFL quarterback. Football has been my love and passion my entire life. I was raised to play quarterback, and I very much look forward to dedicating 100% of myself to being the best quarterback possible and winning NFL championships. I've started an extensive training program to further prepare myself for upcoming NFL workouts and interviews. I eagerly await the opportunity to continue to prove to NFL decision makers that I am the franchise quarterback, my emphasis, in this draft. Can I change my cover three answer? <laughs> I'm well, not sure if that's up on the website yet. He was going to the combine anyway, though, regardless well, of Well, no, he was invited to the combine. He had not accepted that invitation I yet. think at least most people were well, he, anticipating He that didn't he know that a week ago when he talked to Dan Patrick. Well, but because I think this is part of the buildup to it. Why why reveal it on a show where no, you can I, I get, get the it. attention on your Twitter account? No, but account? what, I mean, I what mean, happens if the A's, what happens if you, the A's wanted him at spring training and he wanted to play baseball? That's right in the middle of spring training, pitchers and catchers. I don't think there was any guarantee that he was going to pick football over baseball. No, there was no guarantee for that. I guess I thought going to the combine was as close to a guarantee. That That's where I was going with my response, well, but Not th- that he was definitely going to commit himself to football. Well, I was saying, this, this is more than just going to the no, combine. No, this though. is basically everything. And I This think, is on playing football in Oakland A's. Adios. Yeah, well, and I think part of that is the timing leading up to the combine. So when teams are going to have interviews with him, they already know, hey, I've made it clear. If you want to take me and you think I'm going to be your franchise quarterback, you've heard it already a few weeks prior. I'm not just telling you this in a closed-door meeting. Because when you say it publicly, right. mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you start changing your tune. You worry about an indecisive player that you have. Now I think he's making it clear so that teams understand going into the interviews where he stands. Well, now the question is, will he throw at the combine? I don't know about that. Him and, and Haskins. Those are the two I, guys everyone's going to want to see. Yeah, I think they're going to wait for their pro days. I think I think both would be wise to throw at the combine. Really? I do. I don't think either guy is Baker Mayfield last year or Sam Darnold last year. I think both these guys with only one year of playing football under their belt as a starter have a lot to prove. And I think both guys with their skill sets would improve their stock by throwing at the combine. Both guys have very good arms, 
Both guys are pretty accurate passers, and I think that's a situation where both guys would excel. Here's my prediction. Kyler Murray does everything. Because he's going to wow on the physical test. Because he's basically built like a slot receiver. And he's got that type of athleticism. He's going to do a great 40. He's going to have a great shuttle. If they, don't, they make the quarterbacks even do shuttles, I don't even know if they do or not, to be honest with you. They may want to do it anyway. He's, he's got a strong arm. He's extremely accurate. He's going to do really well doing combine things. My guess is Haskins will throw, and he does none of the athletic testing. <laughs> because huh. unlike, contrary to what Stephen A. Smith might think, he is not... <laughs> A run-first quarterback. Yeah, first running quarterback. So my guess is Haskins will throw. He'll do measurements, but he won't do any of the athletic testing. I think Murray's going to do everything. That would be my guess. Well, I, listen, I, I get where you're going at it. I just I know the issue with quarterbacks throwing is they never really feel comfortable throwing to wide receivers that they haven't worked with before. That is fair, and too. And I don't know if Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins want that to be the first impression front and center with the TV cameras rolling. Instead, they want to wait for the comfort of their pro day. But... You make a strong case. I'm not going to disagree where you're going, you know, especially if Murray is on this campaign to just quiet the skeptics and prove, hey, football, football, football. That's and I'm why not I think, shoot up the yeah, rankings. That, that's my guess too. It would make sense if that's, that's his point. logic, but I still go with the conservative route. Most quarterbacks and most people that are advising these QBs, John, are hesitant to allow them to throw to wide receivers that they have not had established relationships with. Sadly. You might end up being right. I think this is also wishful thinking on my part, being I'm going to be in Indianapolis in two weeks and I want to see these guys throw. And that's something we can actually get out on the field for too, right? We can put a little, peek our little head out into that bowl, Dan, and and, and see them throw. I think we're still there, right? The quarterbacks throw on what, Friday usually? Or is it Saturday? I think they throw on Friday, right? The quarterbacks, isn't that when the quarterbacks go? I think it's Saturday. They throw Saturday? I believe it is Saturday. Ah, Darn. See, you you built it all up and... Well, I was asking the question. Well, but you, you know, you were you were spinning it that it would be an advantage for you. Now it may not even be an advantage. Oh, who is this from? Andrew Siciliano's account. Haskins says he will do everything at the combine. He tells me and Steve Mariucci that he'll run, throw, and quote unquote kill it on Mooch's whiteboard at the combine next week. Okay, there well, we go. I'm not doubting what he told them, but then again, no, things change. Things do change, and that's not out of the mouth of Dwayne Haskins because if he doesn't. He can always claim, well, I don't know what they were talking about. Well, that, that might have been in an interview. I don't know. Correct. And I get a, a nice response from our producer. I, I don't know how Dan managed. Dan has a sign that's about <laughs> six feet long that says Haskins QB1, Murray not. I don't know how he created well, that within the last 25, you know, 10 minutes. So but wait a minute. Good job out of Dan. Well, here's the big question, Dan. <laughs> so is this bad news for you that Murray now is stealing the spotlight? And committing, he, throws he doesn't his hands care. Up. See, I would thought that this would be sort of sour news nah, for him see. because it Haskins gets the spotlight. He's the guy. I know Dan Murray's indecisive. Dan has so much inner confidence in Dwayne Haskins that he believes that everyone else will see the light the way he has. That Haskins will be QB number one. And honestly, for me, and I've watched both guys around half their full, more than half each of their full seasons. I think Haskins is a much safer pick. Much safer pick. I think if you draft Murray, you're going to have to significantly change your offense. Like, Kyler Murray can't play in the center. Like, imagine him dropping back behind a bunch of 6'5 offensive linemen. How the hell is he going to see <laughs> see anything? Well, that's always the concern. How is he going to see anything at 5'9", 5'10"? You just can't. So you're going to have to run everything out of shotgun. No more of this fullback, you know, two tight ends power football if you're, running, if you're playing in shotgun. Which limits game. your offense, too, by the way. Right. 
At least that's my opinion. Maybe I'll be wrong. I think Baker was in shotgun most of the year last year, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to look at the numbers on that. I'm not positive. But remember, he's also six foot. It's yeah, different six foot five. Different, different size different. factor there. So yeah. uh, to me, I think Haskins is a much more traditional NFL quarterback. Now, Kyler Murray probably has a higher ceiling. If he can figure out a way to see and do the things that Drew Brees does, which is very difficult, you know, in the pocket, behind the line of scrimmage, he's probably slightly more accurate than Haskins is. He's got the same level of arm, but and he's more mobile. So I think he's got the ceiling, but I, I don't know. I'd be very worried about picking either one in the top ten. Well, I would in, my, make- in, my, in my humble opinion, and look, I'm an amateur analyst here. I don't know as much as half, the, any, half of what the people upstairs know. But I would not trade up for either player, and I would be very worried about picking either guy with the top 10 pick. Well, I think, this is my personal opinion, I, I think Murray is a better quarterback than Haskins, but I think Haskins will be drafted before Murray. And Why do you think Murray's a better quarterback? I think Murray has more athleticism. Uh, that's no question. I think the arm strength is, to your point, pretty much equivalent. I think they're similar. But I would give Murray a slight edge in that department. I, I really like Murray's arm. And, and no, Murray's I, got a top quality arm. No I question. think it's overlooked because of his small stature. Mm-hmm. And then when you take into consideration accuracy and decision making, I would also give Murray a slight edge over Haskins. I think Haskins made more throws you would ask a quarterback to make in an NFL offense than Murray. Well, I, I also think that's a reflection of Big Ten football versus Big Twelve. Yeah, football absolutely. Too. And I think that's and, part know, of it. I, I think that's important. You know, Murray was involved in a lot more offensive clinics back and forth. Now, Ohio State was involved in a few games that made you, you know, raise your eyebrows because normally you have a good defense with Ohio State. You pound the football. You run out the clock. That was not the case. I mean, Haskins Michigan was, was put in fairness in those positions yeah, where he had to make plays. Down. Well, the Michigan was supposed to have one of the best defenses in the country, and well, they ran over them. Haskins immolated them. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it was it was a disaster yeah. for Michigan. He killed them, one hundred percent. So, and here's the thing too: I don't think Murray did nearly as much advanced quarterbacking. What I mean, multiple reads, moving safeties, you know, small window throws, as we saw Mayfield do in that offense a year ago. I think he is a lot more deve- a lot more developing to do than Baker Mayfield did coming into the draft last year. Again, just my humble opinion. Well, that combined with the size is why I think Haskins is going to go before him. I'd be surprised if we see a team roll the dice like they did to a certain degree with Baker Mayfield hey, you never going know. before the rest of the... I, I All you be, need is one. I know, you do, but, but here's the thing. None of the teams currently in their positions, if the draft order holds... Correct is going to take Kyler Murray. That would be a stunning development. And and don't buy into the whole Cardinals-McCoy thing. That's not going to happen. Picking no. him first, no. I don't buy that either. So, once again, if the draft order stays as is, I'd be stunned to see Murray go. Haskins, it would not surprise me All if right. he's taken. Final question for you. And I want you to uh, bring up the poll question. I want to do the review of the poll question before we say goodbye. Final prediction. Oh, Paul's going to love this, by the way. Does he know what the entire show is going to be tomorrow when Paul Dottino hosts with Lads? It's going to be whole quarterbacks. It's going to be great. Paul's going to pull his hair out. You know what? I, and, and, and I said this on an earlier show, all jokes aside, and this is only partially a joke. I would love for the Giants to somehow wind up with Kyler Murray just so Paul would have to completely change his tune about running quarterbacks. <laughs> he would. You would see wow. him contort himself into a pretzel if the Giants made that decision. I Oh, 
if, if only I could do it beyond the beyond live with him, and he would be surprised. And the Giants pull one out and they pick. Kyle. Oh, I, oh my God, that would that would be so terrific. I really want that to happen. Deep now. down inside, oh. I am with you from a rooting interest. Oh, but oh yeah. I, on, I'm throwing all the football stuff yeah, aside. I, mean, I just want to see the Tino lose his mind. From a reality standpoint, once again, that, that would also be a stunner to me to see the Giants take Kyler Murray. And I've said this on the show, just like it would have been a surprise for me to see the Giants take Baker Mayfield. I would have wanted to see it. He was the guy that I was highest on. But I knew realistically there's a profile to me for the Giants quarterback. And those two guys, just from a stature standpoint... Haskins much more fits Haskins the Giants' Haskins fits profile. the Giants' profile. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's why it wouldn't be a surprise. Murray and Mayfield would have been a surprise to me, and I guess I should also speak in the present tense, will be a surprise because Murray hasn't been drafted because they don't fit the profile to me of who the Giants have selected when they go the prospect road of a quarterback. So... That's where I stand with respect to that. I could have a stronger feeling about Murray, but also I'm looking at it from a realistic lens. Now, you want to see the results? Yeah, Is that g- what you were yeah give me the results. What do you so, got? So, Sunday afternoon has one out, 55%. And the question, by the way, was where would you want the Giants, or when would you want the Giants to play opening weekend next yes. year? Thursday night, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, or Monday night? Sunday night, 27%. Thursday night, 11%. Monday night, 7%. So Sunday is the day that people want because they don't want to have to wait till Monday. But it's good to see that the majority at least are in alignment with us with respect to the Sunday afternoon. 560 votes. That's a pretty good cross sample right there. I would say that's fair. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're going to have two big quarterbacks. We're going to steal the spotlight now at the NFL Combine in 2019. And we'll have coverage for you right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, live from the Combine that week, Wednesday through Friday. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. For our producer, Dan Salamon, we will see you tomorrow when Lance and Dettino host Big Blue Kickoff at noon. And you can call Dettino with all your quarterback questions as he talks quarterbacks all day long. Whether or not the Giants should draft one and how they should move forward, I think it's going to be a great show for Paul as Lance injects him with sedatives as the show goes on so his big orange head doesn't explode. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good one. Have a good one.